Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But the problem is, is that sometimes I see things that I think maybe I need. You know, hear about it while you're talking on the phone to somebody, via Facebook, peek over your neighbor's fence, you drive by and see a thing parked in their yard and you think to yourself, ooh, I like that. No, excuse me, I lack that. It's kind of what we do. Look at the things that think I might lack. I didn't even know such a thing even existed until I saw it. Had no idea I needed it until someone else had it. That all of a sudden, I should have that. I think I need that. Wasn't even aware that it was a thing. Here's what I do. I begin to look at my life and, and, and I say, I really lack nothing. I stand in front of you today in reasonably good health. My family is here in church today. They're in reasonably good health. I have a great job. I have two automobiles at my house. Both of them work sufficiently. My house is warm when it's cold. It's cool when it's warm. Everything works the way it works. I even have a non-essential item, a non-essential When it's warm outside, I wheel it out of the garage and I dust it off, put a little fuel in the little bitty tank, and then I pretend I'm actually bigger than I am, and I pretend that it is bigger than it is, and then I jump up on 883 cubic centimeters, and I take off down the highway trying to look as tough as I possibly can. It's a non-essential. It's a non-essential. But I like it. I lack Nothing, nothing. Yet, when I see something that somebody else has, something I think, I think I need that. All of a sudden, I go into my little room of blessings and I begin to try to reorganize all my boxes and create a little bitty justifiable space for me to then come in and say, well, something goes there. I know just the thing. Why is it that we get so caught up in finding more somethings when we really only need the one thing, a shepherd. If we're sheep, he's a shepherd. Sheep really only need a shepherd. But I can't keep my eyes on my own paper. He makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Oh, those first three words. He makes me. Does it tickle a little tinge of rebellion in you? He makes me. Makes me. Like when a father says, okay, okay, hey, hey, everybody needs to calm down. Hey. Time to get ready for bed. Oh, time for bed. Do I have to? Do you have to? Do you have to? Of course you have to. Like you are 
moment by moment becoming a worse version of yourself. Yes, you have to. You need the rest, you need the development. Get yourself ready, brush your teeth, go to bed begrudgingly. Oh, I hate it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why is that still so true of me? That he makes me, steps into my life. Time to rest, Jared. Nope, 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 nope. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. It's time to rest, Jared. Soft little voice in the back. Hey, it's time to rest, Jared. No, I got it. I got it. All I got to do is keep juggling these balls, keep spinning these plates, keep up with the schedule. Can you take care of that? Can you pick up something for dinner? Hey, would you pick up a few things around the house? Oh, I can't. I've got to stay late. Oh, the breakdown's inevitable. It's inevitable. You keep running that hot, you can't keep up at that speed. All the while, the shepherd's over there. Hey, come in here. Get in here. Get in here. You need to rest. Nope, I got it. I got it. I got this, Jesus. I'm a big boy. No one's going to make me lay down and rest. But somewhere in between, that wind, that high-speed wind is going by your ears. You missed the sound. You missed the sound of warning. And it's not a knock. It's not a knock. And you can say it's not a knock. It's not a knock. It's a tap. This machine that is your life begins to tap. It's not a knock. Is that a knock? Not a knock. Just a tap. The further you go, the faster you go, the hotter the machine runs. You don't have any coolant. There's no oil left anymore. The machine is just running. And then finally, the good shepherd does what only the good shepherd can do. And he grabs his rod and his staff, and he comes into the middle of your life, and he says... I said, rest, whack, and he knocks the wheels off of everything. You fall apart. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He restores your soul, and if you've ever been in that place to where God has made you rest, where you've completely bottomed out, where you've burned out, where you've completely blacked out, where you've landed in that place to where there's absolutely nothing left, I bet you these words have come out of your mouth. I just don't know who I am. It seems as if I've somewhere in here, I've lost myself, and that's interesting because that's exactly what David says. He restores my soul. That is actually returns your soul returns your being to you. He makes you lie down in green pastures. The only just judge, the great shepherd, whacks you over the head with the rod and staff. And you know what Christians do? Oh, we're so good. We're so good. We're so spiritual. Here's what we do. In the midst of all our pain and all our hurt, everything's falling apart because we've been ignoring God. Say, rest, rest, rest. It all comes apart. We fall down on our knees beside our bed. Dear, dear Lord, please banish Satan. He seems to be attacking me. And God draws near and says, no, that's me. (laughs) 
it's a painful thing for the Lord to make you lie down in green pastures. I don't know if you're good at rest, but you better get good at it. You don't want him to do it. But he also guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, if you've ever been in that place to where your world has been upside down, where the good shepherd has come out with the crook and he has thundered it into your life, this divine orchestration of absolute disassembly, and your world just begins to just roll apart, then what you know is this, is that it is so much easier to see the paths of righteousness from there than it was earlier. Everything is so much more simple now. You can barely hold anything together, your emotions, your family, your anything. What's the right thing to do? Oh, that's simple now. I see clearly. Because before we had trouble. Now? No. We see the problems. We see the problematic places. We see the people. We see the protruding stones that come out of there that looks like our ego and our pride, and we learn how to avoid all of those things. Why? Because it hurts. The Lord made me lie down. Now it's so much easier. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. See, it is here that we begin to change. It is here that we learn upon these other paths. Sometimes we thought we were on the right path. They really weren't the path at all. He begins to direct us and guide us and point Hey, this is the way. But it doesn't look like much fun going that way. Do you want fun or do you want right? Oh, I'll take right. Fun is only fun for a moment. Now we understand. We see clearly. You say we become so determined to prove our worth that we lose the very thing that is valuable. We become so focused on catching somebody else's eye that we wander from sight. Thank God he's a shepherd. I don't know if you know this or not, but sheep sometimes eat themselves lost. Just being themselves, kind of like us, we get so caught up in being human doings that we forgot how to be a human being. Thank God he's a shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, before, in the middle of all the success and the chasing of achievement and the rise to accomplishment, we would hear these doubting voices in the back. You know, those moments before we were supposed to rest and we wouldn't rest, and we would hear these things behind us like, keep burning, keep churning, keep moving forward. And these voices would come out. They would begin to just talk at us. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to lose it. It's going to come apart. You're going to fail. And so what we would do is we would just burn harder, move faster, run further. It's as if those wolves of our mind, those, those thoughts, those doubting thoughts, 
would just circle us, chase us around, pulling tufts of wool from our sides all the while. We just keep running, just keep running. We don't even know what we're supposed to do. And then it happens. From seemingly nowhere, here comes the shepherd. Staff pulled back, fire in his eyes, and he begins to take a toll on the thoughts, the enemies of our person, those things in our mind. It's a good thing. When the shadows cast fear over us, when the pain increases, when the risk is even greater, when those fierce eyes emerge from the tall grass and they lock and they gaze with us. We hear it because we've learned to listen. We used to be afraid. We used to hear those thoughts, but now we hear something else. We learned last time. We, we know what to do from last time. We don't want that to happen again. Now we listen to the shepherd's voice, and you see it's not loud. It's not a loud voice at all. And what we hear is, do not fear. 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 Yeah, but Jared, you don't understand what's going on in my life. Can't fear it. But Jared, I think I probably had something to do with the way this has gone down. Don't fear it. I can't. I don't know what to do. Like, my, like things are falling apart. Don't fear it. And you hear the shepherd's voice saying, stand still. Stand still. Stand still. Are you sure? There's wolves, don't you think I should run? No, stand still. The reason why is because we know a secret. Here's the secret. For the rod and the staff of the shepherd, it works two ways. And you've already experienced it once, correct? You know the kind of pain that the rod and the staff can inflict so when you hear the shepherd say, hold still, hold still, you should hold still. Here's why. Because if that kind of pain he's willing to exact upon us, whom he loves, what do you think he'll do to the enemy that threatens us? Oh, it will be devastating. All we have to do is stand still. The rod works two ways. Oh, it's for discipline, yes. It's for rest, yes. But then there's another moment where it becomes about protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, they bruise and they not on occasion, but they also comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You see, every soldier that was in the cave with David that day prayed first for safety. I don't know if you know the story, but here's the background. King Saul, this maniacal king, is in hot pursuit of David, public enemy number one, who has been serving Saul faithfully over and over. But King Saul got a little jealous. David got a little too successful. And so King Saul turned everything on him. He's in hot pursuit of David, and David is held up 
in a cave with just a bunch of ragtag soldiers with him. And lo and behold, it seems as if God must have been, I can only imagine it is, providentially takes the situation, Saul himself, and moves him directly into the cave. Can you imagine? Deep, this dark, musty cave. There's just a drip you can hear. In comes the maniacal king that's been trying to kill you. The Bible tells us what the, what the king is doing in there. It says that the king goes into the cave to relieve himself. David is in the back of the cave. He has 400 soldiers with him. Every one of them first praying for safety. And then when they see what the king is up to, oh, he's indisposed. He's vulnerable. He's... David, kill him, kill him, kill him now, kill him now. David, hand on his blade, in the dark, could see him clearly, begins to move towards Saul, all of his soldiers urging him, kill him, kill him. And somewhere in that split moment, that place within a place, something happened. David pulls the blade and then transcends the situation because he knows something that we often forget. Just because you killed a king doesn't make you royalty. Just because you can get the crown upon your head doesn't mean you're the king. Just because you can plop yourself down into the throne doesn't suggest that you're the ruler. And David knows he's been anointed, but it's not time yet. He cuts a little piece of cloth from Saul's robe, and he holds on to it, and he lets the crazy king who's been destroying his life wander out. Can you imagine all of his soldiers? Dude! For real? Which explains it, really. I mean, listen to the verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Your enemy is there, laid before you, stretched out, bare, vulnerable. All you got to do is take the dagger and move it from here to here. And you won't? Why? David's thoughts seem to be this. That would require me to take my eyes off of the great gift giver. That, that would require me to take my eyes off of God. For me to exact revenge on what I think is maybe God doing this would, would mean me taking my eyes off of the Savior. Only God makes kings. Every good thing comes from heaven above. It cannot be stolen away. That is why the enemy in hot pursuit, David says, take a moment. Like a, like a sweet, sweet mother. I got to run, mom. I got to run. Sit down. You're going to eat something. Sit down. 
Mom, I've got to go attack the day. I'm behind. I've got deadlines. Sit down. Sit yourself down and get a bite to eat. David says, have a drink. David, the, the, enemy is at, the enemy is at the gate. Pour yourself another glass. Yeah but, yeah, but they're closing in like they're banging on the door. Did you get any bacon? Did you get any? Are you not concerned about what's outside? Is he? Is the shepherd concerned about what's outside? Is God concerned about what is coming into your life? Oh, God, do you know the things that are coming into my life? <gasps> oh, dear, what is it? Yeah, I know. God, do you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Are you worried about it? No, 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 I'm, I'm not worried about it. Neither should you. See, what happens is this, is if, if we take our eyes off of God and the place at the table that we have with him and we begin to worry about what's on the outside and what's, what's scratching at the door and what's banging at the gate and we begin to focus on what's out there instead of what's actually in front of us at the table, what do we sacrifice? What do we lose? We lose personal presence with Jesus Christ, community, with other believers. We lose that right there to focus on whatever's out there, the pain, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, everything that's outside scratching on the door. And I have to take my eyes off of the gift giver. It's as if David is saying, did you forget that he anointed you? You know, he anointed me. Maybe David reflects on this moment. I was a shepherd in a field. They called me in. It was the craziest thing. I've got all these big brothers. All of them would have made fine, suitable kings. But you know what they did? They poured the oil on my head. They set me apart, and they said, you're going to be the king someday, little guy. I remember that. He anointed you, all of you. You have a purpose. Anointing means you have a purpose. Like, he puts this on you. You have a thing that you go do. What's the thing that he's asked you to go do? He's poured the oil on all of you. He set you a place at the table. And then this last line, and my cup overflows. Do you know what that means? It means this. You were holding the cup like this, and he pours it. And just when you think to yourself, like, that's good, that's good, that's good. Whoa, hey, whoa, hey. He doesn't stop pouring. And it goes into the cup, and it, and it falls down into the saucer. And you sip it from the saucer thinking maybe he'll notice he's pouring out way too much and it just keeps going that's running down your arm and you you're trying to keep it off the floor and now you've got all this blessing that's pouring into the cup into the saucer down your arm running under your sleeve it's onto your lap here you are covered in it just covered in it and now now is the time you're going to set that down and go answer the door now you're going to go focus on your enemy stop and take inventory of your life for just a moment, just take a quick inventory of your life. Is it good or is it bad? My guess is it's good. And if there's any part of it that's bad, my guess is this. That probably has more to do with you than it has to do with him. And he just keeps pouring blessing into your cup, so much so you can't even get your mouth close to drink it. 
You see, it's funny how gifts will translate into humility. The book of Romans says it this way. Do you not know that it is God's kindness that brings you to repentance? Meaning, you know what turns your heart? Not God stepping in and saying, what did you do? Did you do something bad? Are you being naughty? No, what changes your heart is when God steps near and says, I forgive you. I understand. My son was here. He came back. He told me it's very, very difficult to live here. I understand. I trust him. He said it's very, very hard. And so I believe you. Lord, I promise I won't do it again. Don't promise you won't do it again. Don't, let's don't do that. You, you might, but it's okay. You've got blessing in your life and your cup overflows. Surely goodness and love, mercy will follow you all the days of your life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you hear it? Do you still hear it? You, you know what it is. You, you know what it is that you know Right? You know. Like, do you remember when you weren't doing things right? You remember when you were, let's say, on a different path? Right? Remember that? Do you remember the noises that you would hear in the background? Sometimes it was just a few little words. Sometimes it was a noise in the grass. It was that, you're going to get caught. You're going to get caught. That paranoid, you're going to get caught. Every single thing that would happen, you had to double check your story. All the dishonesty that you've stacked on top of dishonesty and these stories that you've woven together and every single noise you would hear behind you had you absolutely petrified, terrified. But do you hear that noise in the grass now? Where you are, what you've overcome, what you've seen, how you understand him now. It's, it's the sound of something following you is what it is. It's that noise in the grass. It's the sound of something following you. It's like going out and running. You go run in the evenings, run on the country roads, and it's just a real quiet run, just just a little bit of little bit of gravel underneath your feet. And inevitably, there would be that sound. I run just as fast sideways as I do front ways. Hear that sound? It's not the same sound. It's not a scary sound. It's the sound of something following you, and it's a good thing. In fact, it's Goodness, goodness and love follow you. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means. It means that when you go out into the world, because you've become, you've become this person who trusts, who trusts the shepherd, and you don't need more, you don't lack anything, but you trust the shepherd. And so what it means is you listen to his voice, 
He leads you places. He takes you places. And then when you encounter somebody, you have this, this rich encounter. And then when you walk away, that person is left dealing with this weird haze of goodness and love that you left right there, the vapor of some sort of spiritual being that passed by when you passed by. And it's going to keep them up at night. Sit down with a Muslim man a few years back. He wanted to, for whatever reason, discuss why Christianity was wrong and why Islam was right. Now, I'm not one that can argue the finer points of any of that. And he began to tell me why Islam was right. And one of the things that he talked about was the fact that I, was so, I so poorly handled my Bible. It was covered in duct tape. I just, when I got there, I put it on the floor. And he said, we would never do that with the Quran. You show massive amounts of disrespect for your religion and for your God and for his word by having it all taped up and setting on the floor. That means you don't care anything about it. And I thought, well, that's a good point. Maybe I should treat it with a little bit more gentility, reverence. He, he kind of has me there. You assume that you have a relationship with God, some personal relationship with God, like you and God are going to hold hands and just skip through the flowers, you and God, and you minimize it down to almost nothing, like he's your boyfriend, like it's just this small little thing, and it's not even a real not even a real relationship. You see, as a Muslim, I would never, ever talk so plain about my relationship with God. God is so much higher and beyond that. He's kind of got me, kind of got me, really. I mean, we're the ones that came up with the shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. That's pretty weak. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of got me. Thing after thing, he came against Christianity with and the way that Christians act and the way Christians do what Christians do. But he forgot something. You see, it was Christmas. And none of his family would have him at their house. And the only place he had to go for Christmas was with my friend, who was a Christian. And I looked at this guy and I said, you know what, everything you said, I can find some reality and some truth in that we probably should be more reverent. We probably should do things a little bit different than we do. I said, but I can promise you this. Here it is, Christmas Eve, and you have no place to go. And there's not one Muslim who has opened up their home to you. And the place where you're going to spend your Christmas is with people who love and honor Jesus Christ. And what do you have to say about that? He set himself back in his chair and conceited. Look on his face begin to melt away. <sighs> You're right. You're right. And surely goodness and 
love will follow us all the days of our life. And you see, when you see a little child and they come walking by and you get down near them and you begin to tell him that he's strong and he's handsome or that she's pretty and she's powerful and they get this impression of goodness and love and this feeling of the presence of God in their life that they're going to carry out into the rest of their days. And when you stop by somebody and your enemy wants to say something to you ugly and you you don't you don't retaliate, you don't return evil for evil, but you return good. The weight, the good, and the love bears down on them in such a way that it begins to devastate their life. And you see goodness and love and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And everywhere we go, we leave an impact on everybody. Because we have a good shepherd. But here's what we know. No matter where we are, no matter what we do, the destination for us is always the same. For we, in some senses even now, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And sometimes that means we do it here just as a reminder of when we're going to do it there. And so we get to do it here. We know we get to do it there. Thank God he's a shepherd. Thank God he's a shepherd. 